0: Internet Movie Database, imdb.com. Some of you may know it as the online resource for all things movies and films and reviews. And for years now, there's been one movie that has been the number one spot on the Internet Movie Database list of top 250 top-rated movies of all time based on thousands upon thousands of viewer ratings. Morgan Freeman was in this movie and celebrated its 25th anniversary a couple of years ago. And in an interview as part of that celebration, he said, About everywhere you go, people say, such and such movie. Greatest movie I ever saw. Tim Robbins was also in this movie, and he stated a couple of years ago at that 25th anniversary celebration, he, he, he said, all over the world, wherever I go, there are people who say, that movie changed my life. He went on, Robbins, to say that he's been able to meet Nelson Mandela at one point in his life. And Robbins remarked, When I met him, he talked about loving this particular movie. Do you know the movie? The Shawshank Redemption. Few people have seen it, I take. For, for the handful that maybe are, are less aware, less familiar, uh, this is a 1994 film adaptation of the Stephen King novel. Starring Morgan Freeman, Tim Robbins. It takes place almost entirely in this fictional Shawshank State Penitentiary during the late 1940s and in the 1950s. It is 142 minutes long. It includes some, some fairly violent and grotesque prison scenes. And then the setting, the attire, it's basically filled with drab browns and blues. How in the world does a film like that strike a universal chord? How has perhaps one of the most famous prisoners of all time, Nelson Mandela, and then millions of people who've never seen a prison, how have they all alike found such resonance with a hundred forty-two minute browns and drab blues film? I wonder if part of the reason isn't because The film assumes a basic truth that all of us know at one level or another. When Jesus first begins his public ministry in the Gospel of Luke, he makes plain his attention by quoting directly from the prophet Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives. When Jesus sees the landscape of humanity, he recognizes there are a lot of prison, prisoners and, and the prisons come in a lot of shapes and sizes. Some are quite visible, others quite invisible, and all of them heavily fortified. Carl Barth, was a prominent Reformed theologian, public voice of the 20th century, and from 1956 to 64, toward the end of his career and on into his retirement, Bart provided regular worship and preaching in Basel, Switzerland, in a prison in Basel, Switzerland. One of his most famous sermons there among these prisoners was entitled, Criminals with Him, based on Luke chapter 23, verse 33. And Today's sermon title and scripture are a direct nod to Bart's sermon. And in that sermon, uh, Bart made this comment about these two thieves on, on either side. He says, we are such people, all of us, you in this house, which is called a prison, with all the burdens that you brought here and with all your particular experiences of this place, those others of us outside who have different experiences, and yet are, believe me, in the same predicament. In reality, we are all these people, these crucified criminals. We are all these crucified criminals. The truth of Scripture, and the one that Shawshank Redemption names quietly but persistently throughout the film, is this, we all know about the walls about the trap of sin, about, about the things we keep doing or, 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 or not doing, although we, we as a people and as individuals, we, we mean to and want to do differently or better. Or we know about addiction. We know about the wrong weight of wrongdoing done against us and how that carries. We know about the weight of having done wrong against another or others and how that can carry In one way or another, we we, we all know what it feels like to, to be boxed in, condemned, trapped, and the good news of Jesus Christ is this. They crucified him with the criminals, one on either side. It is to such people and among such people that Jesus situates himself centrally. Elsewhere Jesus is clear he came not for the healthy but for the sick not for the righteous but for the sinner. Jesus dwells with stands condemned with the criminal, the thief, the imprisoned. More actually, Bart goes on in his sermon to declare this. Jesus with these two criminals is quote, the first indissoluble and indestructible Christian community. Christian community is manifest wherever there's a group of people close to Jesus who are with him, in such a way that they are directly and unambiguously affected by his promise and assurance. These may hear that everything he is, he is for them, and everything he does, he does for them. To live by this promise is to be Christian community. The two criminals were the first certain Christian community. Jesus not only dwells with the criminals, the thief, the imprisoned, they are among the ones he creates community. This is where church happens. Perhaps even more striking is the fact that you may recall one of those two criminals mocks Jesus. Why don't you save yourself? And by the way, save us while you're at it. While the other one acknowledges Jesus for who he is, both alike found that love has drawn near. How does the Apostle Paul famously put it in his letters to the Romans? Once we were on the road to being better people, Christ died for us. Once we started to show a little bit of improvement, finally made a good decision, Christ died for us. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is at the cross that Jesus makes abundantly clear that he is with and for and alongside the prisoner, and he abides with them and and, and offers life. How often have we known ourselves, cornered, or walled in, or having those thoughts again, or crushed by our past, or crushed by their action against us, or beholden, the walls of our own guilt and shames. In looking to our left and our right, have we ever, in the midst of the condemnation and the failure, have we ever seen how near Jesus abides? They crucified him with the criminals, one on either side. This is where he dwells. This is the people with whom and for whom he dwells, and these are the people then to whom his body on earth today dwells. I was in prison, and you visited me. A number of years ago, I was serving a congregation in Atlanta, and a congregant there was was sentenced to prison. I went online to fill out the required paperwork and the application and the background check and, and all, all that to, to make the visit, and it takes a while to get through that. Once once eventually approved to make a visit, I then set to make a date happen, and that required working certainly with the family because as a prisoner there, he was only allowed a visitor per week, and I had to make sure it landed when, when they weren't going to go and that it was going to land when he could and that I was on his approved list. I then had a date, and I made the two-hour drive outside of Atlanta, to this large, remote prison. Once I was through the doors, I needed to ensure everything was removed from my, my pockets and hands and so keys and wallets and phone and, and belts. Uh, these are, you know, were taken from me to be left at security while I go through. And then I walked down this long hallway with, with these uh, tile floors and these thick, off-white walls with, with really nothing on them. And I arrive at a very heavy elevator, and I get in this elevator and take it up to the fourth floor, and eventually arrive outside of these two large doors where I pick up the phone and I let the official know that I'm here for this visit. And these two doors begin to open up, and I walk through and I'm told I can take a seat in this chair in front of this really thick piece of glass with a phone on either side, one for me. And one for this congregant whenever he comes out. Now, I know that, that prisons differ in terms of their security, their protocols from state to state, and so forth. But, but what struck me about arriving to this particular seat on that particular day is how much stands between the visitor and the prisoner. I mean, assuming. You can get past some of the very real stigmatizations that that we can have about prisoners and those folks over there. Assuming we have some measure of whatever Bart is talking about where, where we come among prisoners as prisoners ourselves. Even so, There's a lot of front-end paperwork and background checks. There's some coordinating of schedules and getting on an approved list. There's the long drive. There's the high security. There's the long hallways. There's the thick walls. There's the thick glass. And then there's the strict enforcement of the the half-hour time that you have together. And so no matter how right and good a punishment may be, no matter how good the restorative justice program there may be at a certain place. No matter how many prisoners there are, and, and as many of you know, the U.S. Has, has the most amount of prisoners and prisoners per capita. No, no matter all of that, one of the most fundamental things about being in prison, it's really easy for the rest of society to forget about you. There are just so many layers, so many walls, some in here, goodness, also out there. And yet, what was the singular request of that second criminal to Jesus? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. Who's the Holy Spirit nudging us to remember? Who this day is behind a lot of walls, literal or or otherwise? And what might it look like to communicate a remembrance? In his book, Saved by Faith and Hospitality, theologian Joshua Jip observes this about those behind the literal walls. One should not. Underestimate the importance of simple but consistent face-to-face visits with those who are incarcerated, or correspondence through phone conversations and writing letters as a form of Christian hospitality. Our prison system successfully transforms its population into stigmatized, marginalized strangers. They crucified him with the criminals, one on either side. Dr. Angela Williams-Guerrell is a professor of theology at Baylor University's Truett Theological Seminary. And a few years ago, she was offered a chance to do a a year or two professorship at at Yale Divinity, studying joy. After very soon beginning this position, a close family member of hers died by by way of suicide. Less than a month later, her, her father died by way of an opioid addiction. Later that same week, her 22-year-old nephew died very suddenly of cardiac arrest. She writes about all this in her uh, recent book, The Gravity of Joy, a story of being lost and found. And a key part of the story is that during this season of intense grief and disillusionment, while studying and teaching about joy... She begins volunteering to lead this Bible study in a maximum, maximum security women's prison where they, they assigned her to the section where, uh, of women who were on suicide watch. She doesn't sugarcoat how hard or hardened some of those realities she saw and faced were. But also, at one point, she reflects on how she was also learning a lot about joy through these women. And hearing their hearts as they slowly started to open week after week. And they started to share that sliver of a hope or a dream or a desire for a future. As they started to open up. And she she writes, joy is circumstance agnostic. Things could be going really well or things could be going really poorly. And joy can still reside in that space. Joy can breathe the same pungent air as grief. Joy can reside where suffering is, whereas happiness can't really do that. Joy is able to live in close proximity to sorrow and suffering. Joy has grit. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy hangs between two criminals. Joy is what Dr. Gorell will tell you she encountered through these women at the prison. And really, are we surprised? I was in prison and you visited me. Part of the gift in remembering the forgotten is that in doing so, we find ourselves also remembered. For we encounter, in the face of the forgotten, Christ himself ever abiding with and through the prisoner. Perhaps another reason that the Shawshank Redemption has has endured as this beloved movie, this impactful movie, maybe it's the most fundamental reason, really, is that not only does it declare this truth that that we all face prisons of some walls of some sort, we all are prisoners of some sort, it it also tells this unlikely story of friendship between the two main characters, Morgan Freeman and, and Tim Robbins, which is to say it is a story where you discover in a very forgotten and terrifying place the gift of being remembered. Remember me when you come into your kingdom? As a people who pray fervently, thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. What if God's answer to our prayer is us? Remembering the forgotten and the condemned as Jesus has done for us and so bearing witness to a wholly different kind of kingdom on earth. Who Who shall we remember? And what if in risking such remembrance, we discover just how remembered we are? I was in prison, and you visited me. Amen.